We have a new puppy at our house, which means, as our daybreak friends will know, that once again, my wife and myself are two pug people. And trust me, trust me, there's not a day that goes by that we are not graphically reminded by virtue of a non-stop exhibition that these dogs are preoccupied with one another. If 15-month-old Bella has something in her mouth, it just happens to be the exact same thing that three-month-old Dixie, her sister from another litter, wants and wants now. Oh my goodness. Be it a twig, be it a treat, be it a toy, if one of them has it, the other one wants it. It doesn't matter that there are all kinds of twigs scattered around on the lawn. It doesn't matter that there's all kinds of toys on the floor. One of them wants the one that the other has and is focused on obtaining it. Inevitably, it leads to tussle after tussle after tussle so that I am learning again that apparently the only word that will break in to distract them is, girls, lunch. This morning, as we conclude our four-part study, God, now what? I invite you to consider with me something that we all encounter from time to time in our spiritual lives, if we're truly honest. Those occasions when God seems completely preoccupied with something other than us. His attention seems elsewhere. It's as if we are perpetually getting the busy signal when we try to get through to God. Be honest, you have such occasions, and so do I. We're looking at Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, this morning, verses 35 to 41. And before I read it to you, let me give you just a little bit of background to this passage. Jesus has been teaching all day, both to the crowds of people that were so great in number and interest that they pressed in upon him there on the lake shore, to the point where he had to get into a boat and push out into the water a little bit just to have some space from which to address the crowds. And then we're told that Jesus had also spent some time teaching the disciples who wanted to know why he taught the crowds 
using parables so often. Now follow along as I read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. No indication as to who was in the other boats. Maybe, maybe it was the media. We don't know. But soon, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus, Jesus was doing what? Hanging on for dear life. <laughs> no. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence! Be still! Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. If you haven't learned it by now, my friends, hear me well. Every one of us, as modern disciples of Jesus, will encounter storms, and turbulence in life. I'm sure if we were to open it up this morning, we would hear some remarkable stories about things that some of you have been through. Those periods in our life when it seems as if God is completely preoccupied, as if he's sound asleep, oh, maybe not at the wheel, but sound asleep in the stern of the boat. And so rough is the ride that along with Christ's original disciples, we, even out, we, we find ourselves literally shouting out to him, Lord, don't you care? We're about to drown here. We're sinking. Been there? Maybe you're there today. Then what? Now what? When you find yourself going down for the last time. 
What do you do when your boat is sinking and you can't get through to God because apparently he's currently dealing with an unusually high volume of calls? Here's a couple of practical suggestions that I would like to give you this morning as to how we might respond when God seems completely preoccupied. Firstly, use the inevitable storms of life to reconsider your expectations of God. Use these inevitable storms of life that we all experience to reconsider your expectations of God. Here's a question for you. What do you think the disciples were thinking that evening when they got into the boat with Jesus? What were they thinking about? It had been a long day. Jesus is tired and wants to get away from the crowds, right? So they did. They headed for the other side of the lake. Little, little did the disciples suspect, I suggest, that the greatest lesson of the day was yet to come. How did they anticipate that their expectations of Jesus were about to be challenged, were about to be tested, were about to be exposed? They couldn't have known. They got into the boat and sat back for a nice leisurely cruise to the other side of the lake. Each one of us has expectations of God. Just think about that for a moment with me. Did you know that you have expectations of God? What they are, those expectations, and how you obtain them can be a very beneficial exercise to engage. Why? Well, what if, what if your authorities are misguided or wrong? It can be very intimidating, very frightening to find yourself in the middle of a don't you care God experience and be confronted with the reality that some of your expectations of God are misguided and possibly entirely illegitimate. For example, most of us believe and expect that God is always on the job, right? 24-7. So put yourself in the sandals of these disciples. I think it's somewhat humorous to read in this story that Jesus, Jesus, God in the flesh, is sound asleep 
while the boat is being tossed about by the storm. <laughs> I was thinking when the little story for the kids was playing there, the story about Jonah. We read that Jonah, just like Jesus, while the storm was raging, where was Jonah? He's down in the holds of the ship, sound asleep. Apparently, both Jesus and Jonah were very deep sleepers, huh? Yeah. As I read this story and then went back and looked at the story of Jonah, you know what came to my mind? Some of you who are old like me will remember that classic movie, What About Bob? Remember? When Dr. M had to try and awaken Bob, who had kept the whole house up half the night, and he had to grab him and shake him and back and forth, and no way. Bob was in a deep sleep. <clears throat> I have to scratch my head when I read that the boat was rocking, and what's Jesus doing? He's sound asleep. He's not doing what the disciples expected him to do. And sometimes that's the reality of life, that God doesn't do what we expect him to do. One of my immediate objectives when I retire in just a few weeks is to complete a book manuscript that I've been working on for some time. The working title is Living with Unanswered Questions. And it's based on the Old Testament story of Job. Remember him? If it can happen to Job, it can happen to you. And it can happen to me. In the opening verses of that great book, there are four Hebrew terms that are used to describe Job. He was upright, godly, constantly turning away from evil, we read. And look what happened to him. When I read about Job's spiritual qualifications, I kind of shrink back and say, whoo, he's got it all over me when it comes to how spiritual he was. And yet, literally, the roof fell in on Job. And so I'm taking the book of Job, and what I'm doing in my manuscript is that I'm interacting with about 12 families, 12 couples, 12 individuals whom I have walked through experience with as their pastor, as their friend. Those times when they have gone through experiences that led them to cry out, where are you, God? I'm sinking here. I'm drowning. And you appear to be completely preoccupied. I'm working with a couple who lost their first child to what's called SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. I'm working with a woman who, throughout the entirety of her growing up years, she, along with her sisters, were subjected to severe sexual abuse at the hands of their own father. 
I'm working with a family at daybreak that just over eight years ago, on a normal workday morning's drive to work, a driver came through a stop sign and took the life of their husband and their father, leaving her with five children to raise by herself. I'm also working with the family of a dear friend of mine, a pastor, a longtime friend, who was shot to death at the hand of his oldest son. As you can appreciate, they went through that experience. Where are you, God? We're sinking here, and you seem to be completely preoccupied. Don't you care, God? That's essentially what the disciples said to Jesus as the winds came up and the waves began to rock that boat back and forward. Don't you care? Maybe you're in that kind of a boat today. Maybe you're experiencing that kind of a storm in your own life or you're trying to be a good friend and a help and a witness to someone who is going through that kind of experience. Reconsidering our expectations of God. Finding the freedom to be able to say, like the disciples, God, don't you care? I'm always interested and somewhat amused when I talk with people and they, in essence, say to me, I would never say that to God. I would never accuse God of not caring. And I say, well, if you're thinking it, don't you think that he already knows what you're thinking? So go ahead and say it. Be honest with God. Don't you care, God? Like some of these that I am writing about at present, you too may be forced to reconsider your expectations of God when the boat that you're traveling in begins to rock and roll. My friends at Daybreak have heard me refer to this notion many, many times. It's such a good one that I keep coming back to it often. Did you know that God is not a vending machine? Sometimes we treat him as if he is. And it can be very tempting when our boat is rocking to treat God like he is a vending machine. And we simply put in our coin our prayer, our, our prayer, and then push the button, and so help me, whatever it is we want of God had better come out the chute, right? <laughs> when I was a kid, many years ago, we used to have this very problematic vending machine for soda pop in the foyer of the 
town arena where we used to go public skating. How old am I? A can of soda pop back in those days cost how much? A dime. <laughs> I'm old. A dime. And we would put our dime in the slot, push whatever selection of pop we wanted, and nine times out of ten, nothing would happen. And so we would holler at the machine. That was useful. We would kick the machine. That was useful. Sometimes we would even rock the machine backwards and forwards until the lady that ran the place would holler at us and come over with her keys again to open up the machine and get us our pop. Friends, God is not a vending machine. And some of us need to stop treating him like he is. As if he's our servant boy. There to do whatever we want, whenever we want. Use the inevitable storms of life to reconsider your expectations of God. That's one practical thing you can do when you encounter those times when God seems to be completely preoccupied. And then the second suggestion I derive from this text is this. Use the inevitable storms of life to reassess the maturity of your faith. Use the inevitable storms of life to reassess the maturity of your faith. Did you note that Jesus issues a pointed rebuke regarding the immaturity of their faith to his disciples? Why are you afraid? See, Jesus had some expectations of them. He hoped that maybe they had learned a few things by this time as his disciples, as his followers. And then he says to them something very interesting. Do you still have no faith? Notice that Jesus doesn't say, do you still have such weak faith? Or something along the line of, have you not yet progressed far enough in your faith to respond better than you are? Jesus says, have you no faith? <laughs> I find that encouraging. I find that encouraging because even after almost 40 years as a pastor, there are still days when I find myself with essentially no faith. And I don't say that proudly. I say it to tell you the truth. All of us go through experiences where Jesus looks at us and says, do you have no faith? You know, one of the truths that frequently emerges in the New Testament Gospels is the ongoing uncertainty that the disciples and the friends of Jesus had with respect to his actual identity. Pastor Matt touched on that in the very first message in this series regarding John the Baptist. Do you remember? 
John the Baptist tells his disciples to go ask Jesus, in essence, hey, are you the guy? Are you the real deal? Or should we be looking for another? John was disillusioned because there he was in prison awaiting who knew what and Jesus appears to be completely preoccupied elsewhere. If it can happen to John the Baptist, friends, it can happen to us. Let's be careful. Let's be very careful about thinking or acting like we have God all figured out. Be careful about putting God into the box like the disciples did. Hey, Jesus, you're not doing your job. And we're about to drown. We're about to sink. You see, for the disciples... Christ's role was predictable. He existed for no other purpose than to bail them out, literally. I can be like that. All of us can be like that. What transpires in the balance of this story, therefore, is a caution to us. Can't you just envision Jesus? having to be awakened, rubbing his eyes and perhaps yawning, then grabbing the side of the boat to keep from being pitched overboard, then slowly extending an arm over over the water and exclaiming, Peace! Be calm! And then, and then, Get this. You see, if a story had happened in 2021, the first thing that would have come to my mind was to get a selfie with Jesus. This miracle worker. Huh? Get the media and the boats over there to come over and cover this story. There's got to be a way that we can make some money out of this gig. That's not what happens with the disciples. There's none of that. No selfies. No applause. No presentation of a business plan. Just a stunned silence indicative of the fact that wait for it, wait for it, the disciples were absolutely terrified. (laughs) About what? They were more terrified and frightened by the man who calmed the storm than they were by the storm itself. Don't miss that in this story. They thought they were frightened by the storm, Jesus awakens and calms the storm. And rather than breaking into applause, they become even more terrified. All they could muster in their fright was a stunned, a shocked, 
Who is this man? Which leads me to ask myself as I ask you this morning. When's the last time you had that kind of an experience with Jesus? Where you found yourself thinking or perhaps even saying to yourself, Who is this man? Is there still room in our faith, friends, for us along with the disciples to exclaim, Who is this man? Is there still room in our lives, friends, for the lion of the tribe of Judah to roar and frighten us with the power that he wields? Lately, I've noticed that a certain supermarket chain has a slogan that says, Crave more. Crave more. And I found myself thinking, great. Just what our garage sale-oriented society needs to hear. Crave more stuff. You know what I crave more? You know what, deep in my heart, I crave more. I crave an experience with God that has me on occasion so completely blown away. So completely surprised, yes, even frightened enough to do a double take and cry out, who is this man that I'm devoting my life to? What about you? In conclusion, I want to say to you that it's important we remember that when God seems preoccupied, as he seemed to be to the disciples in the boat that evening, when God seems preoccupied, it does not mean that he is unprepared. When God seems preoccupied, it does not mean that he's unaware. Don't forget, Jesus knew exactly what awaited the disciples that evening as they loaded into the boat. He knew exactly the type of lesson that they had to learn that evening. And I'm convinced that had they looked closely at him as he slept there in the stern of the boat, they would have been able to detect a smile, maybe even a smirk on his face. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to remember today particularly anyone seated in this room or anyone who has been listening online today to these words and find themselves able to relate only too well to a rocking boat, to a storm at sea, 
because such is taking place in their lives. Heavenly Father, I would ask on their behalf, in faith, that you would give them the ability to know that you are not preoccupied in the sense of being completely forgetful of what they're going through, but that you are using this time, this time of anxiety, this time of uncertainty, to teach them something. Perhaps it has to do with their expectations of you. Life is a long process of spiritual maturation. And so for those who today are going through experiences where they feel like they're crying out to you, don't you care that we're about to drown? Loving God, in your mercy, would you come alongside and just as the disciples experience, would you frighten them with your goodness? Would you frighten them with your power? Would you frighten them with your strength? And for what I pray for them, I pray for myself. Go with us, O Master of the Seas. Go with us, one who calms the storms into this new week. And help us to experience and truly believe that even when it seems that you're preoccupied, that does not mean that you are unprepared. And we will give you thanks for that in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.